Hello, everybody. <laughs> Hold on. Gotta restart my camera. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Bop, bop. Hello. How are you? There we go. All right. Just a quick moment, if you please. I'm back. Looks like uh, some people having long weeks, huh? Yeesh. Sorry about those. Long but very rewarding. Well, that's good to hear. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing my hair down this week. Why the heck not, right? I believe the line is, if you got it, flaunt it. Boy, I know you want it. Is that right? Does that sound right? <laughs> I am going to do my my weekly my weekly adjustment for the camera. See if I can make anything work with this dang old green screen. That's better. Now, why it works more effectively with less light, I couldn't tell you. But here we are. It's nice and dark. <laughs> it was a dark and spooky night here in the library. And... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say it was probably Professor Plum, because that dude looks shady anyway. How's it going? My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And if you don't know that, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Hello. Welcome. <laughs> uh, today, we're going to be reading Chapter 29 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. I'm riding a little bit of a project high today. I just delivered a first version of an audiobook. Some of y'all might have seen that in the announcements. Uh, Michelle, looks like it's looking good now. Excellent. Jujubee, how's it going? Yeah, sorry about that, Michelle. Uh, I think sometimes it just gets a little bit to get booted up. But I had a listener who uh, wanted to... Uh, I was going to say contract my services, but no, I, uh, I'm doing it for free, as I mentioned before. So if there are people who want to jump on this train and want me to record for your project... I would love to do so for free. That's what I'm on right now. That's the that's the kind of energy I'm up with this at this particular moment. I really appreciate the opportunity. I don't want to say anything about it, um, like you know, any further details about what it's going to be, other than just that it's a children's book and uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Um, and uh, the the recording process went great, and the the post process I learned quite a bit, and it went really well as well. So I am on that energy right now. <laughs> it's gone. Great. It's been a good day. I've been nervous about this project, but I thought it was going to take me all of today and tomorrow to get it finished, and turns out just took me today to do the whole thing. So that's good stuff. <sighs> I'm ready to do some reading for y'all now. It's your turn to get my reading. I hope uh, anyone who's just joining us here from the YouTube premiere... <laughs> X-Tina is in the mix on Mixer. Um, just a quick reminder, X-Tina is cursed. She has endured some sort of hex, and so her chats show up backwards. Uh, which is a fun game. Or, okay, okay, an interesting conundrum. What if her name is actually Anidex? Like Anita, but Anidex. Anidex? Because that would be backwards. It would be 868 Anedix. <laughs> I'm going to guess that's not it. Lots of CNA friends. These are nurses, I assume? Because there's also the... No, that's SCA. That's what I'm thinking of. Never mind. Totally unrelated. 
I'm not, I'm not adding to the discussion at all, but, um, Coop, uh, if you're not wearing your nachos, what are you even doing? You know what I mean? In home caregivers. Sure. Thank you very much for the service y'all provide, by the way. Very important group of people to be taken care of, and I am sure I wouldn't know how to do it very well. I might be able to figure it out over time, but uh, I really appreciate what y'all do. Hmm. Scream go wonky, eh? Got my chat box floating around. What does this mean? I feel that might be a portent of things to come. <laughs> Tuna, rock on. Excuse me. Um, I've still got the, 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 the throat noises coming in from after dinner. Gotta clear all those out. Okay. Who's ready for some reading, huh? Let's get into the uh, review. Let's do it. As usual, we're going to review. And then as usual, I'm going to read you guys some dang old Harry Potter. And... After that, we're going to talk about it. But in the midst of it, I would love to see what y'all want to talk about. So feel free to put your discussion topics in chat, and we'll find a moment either in the chatter breaks or um, after the chapter, and we'll do some talking. We'll do some yammering about it. Chapter 28, Snape's Worst Memory. It begins by the order of the Ministry of Magic. Dolores Jane Umbridge has replaced Albus Dumbledore as High Inquisitor, nope, as head of Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. The above is signed in accordance with educational decree number 28. So, um, if y'all remember, at the very end of chapter 27, Dumbledore has disappeared. And now we are dealing with the fallout of this event. Um, his last note to Harry was to keep on and, and really work hard at occlumency. Harry has to be able to prevent Voldemort from seeing into his mind. He must learn this skill. It seems that the school overall is kind of divided as to whether or not Dumbledore will ever be back, what this means for the school, etc. Let's see. Um, we find that there is a new group of students elected the Inquisitorial Squad. They have the ability to dock points from people in, in other houses. And what do you know it? It's all Slytherins. Normally a prefect wouldn't be allowed to dock points, but uh, it turns out that those who are part of the Inquisitorial Squad are able to. <laughs> oh boy, I gotta jump back into chat. Uh, thanks, Tuna. <laughs> Good to be here, says Xtina. But what it looks like on our end, it's funny. It's funny. If y'all aren't seeing it on uh, on <laughs> Discord, go ahead and check out the mixer for it. Era eb utug, a nut smacked. That's right. That's what I'm getting. That's what I'm getting in mixer. Um. We see that Fred and George have decided to change up their tactics a little bit. They insist that, you know, they've, they've had a reasonable amount of concern regarding being fully expelled from school. And now they're done with that. Of course, Hermione thinks this is preposterous. When have they ever cared? But turns out they were indeed holding back because their new tactic is spectacular. Umbridge uh, is in the middle of a meeting with Potter. Excuse me. Harry is in the meeting with in the middle of a meeting with Umbridge, in which Umbridge has, we think, possibly slipped him some Veritas serum, and suddenly there are explosions coming from elsewhere in the school. Fred and George have decided to not only set off, but prior to that, create new fireworks precisely for 
this event and they have outdone themselves. The fireworks are incredible. Um, they replicate or get bigger when, when uh, Umbridge and Filch try to stop them, and it throws the entire school into pandemonium. They are... Um, they are aided somewhat by the teachers, who will just sit back and let Umbridge and Filch take care of this. It appears that the two have allied themselves with one another, and uh, the, the, the teachers who are still loyal to Dumbledore are all too happy to let her waste her entire day uh, just trying to take care of these things. Rachel says, super tired this week. And I will admit, Rachel, I don't think you're my Rachel. I think you're a different Rachel, right? Unless I'm, unless that would be really wild. Rachel, if you were if you were my sister, Rachel, and you've been in here the whole time, that would freak me out a little bit. Different one, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. I was like, I don't remember. I think we had talked about it initially, but uh, yeah, I knew I knew that there was another Rachel here that wasn't my Rachel. But uh, Rachel, welcome nonetheless. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say some quick hellos once I'm done with the review. Uh, Harry and Cho have a chance to talk again, and it doesn't go well goes even more poorly than last time. Uh, they end up in a shouting match in the hallway, and finally, Harry goes down and uh, begins his occlumency lesson with Snape. Snape is called away all of a sudden to help Umbridge with something, and Harry's left alone in Snape's office, where he finds the... 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 Uh, oh, shoot, I can't remember what it's called. Chat, ready, go. What's the thing called? Um, it contains all of the memories uh, that, that Snape has removed from his brain. Now, it belongs to Dumbledore. And uh, Snape appears to be borrowing it. The pensive, thank you. Bop, bop, bop. Three in a row right in chat. There we go. Oh, there's four. Cozy Oregano, welcome. Welcome to Mixer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Xtina. It's not Evisnap. <laughs> it's not the Evisnap. Um... <laughs> just watching Tina's chats show up backwards. It's, it's, it's scream go wonky. That's our thing here. We are the rickety sidecar from uh, the Aristocats. So, um, Harry's left alone with the pensive and thereby with some of Snape's memories. Now, how Harry ends up in this particular memory, we don't know, but we find a memory of an exam day in which Snape is nearby to the Marauders. The, the Marauders, of course, being the group that consisted of um, Harry's father and his father's friends. We learn a lot about them here, and it's not good news for Harry. We find that James Potter, Harry's father, is a bully to Snape. No other way to say it. He's a bully, and Sirius is just as much of a bully. Uh, it seems that... that um, Lupin and uh, the 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 man who will eventually be known as Wormtail, uh, they are they don't really participate, but they don't stop them either. The person who does stop them is none other than Lily Potter. Uh, eventually, Lily Potter, uh, Lily Evans, I believe she's called called now, um, and she is the one who stops James from bullying Snape. All of a sudden. Um, Snape is using a, a strange spell and suddenly, uh, you know, viciously slashes open James's face. And uh, the two of them continue to fight. Snape calls Lily a mudblood and says he doesn't need any of her help. And uh, Lily leaves the whole thing alone. But Harry is 
discovered by Snape in his office using the pensive and thrown backwards uh, into one of his shelves. It appears that Snape throws a jar at him on his way out the door. And that is the end of it. Snape tells Harry, get out. I don't ever want to see you in this office again. And that's where we end. Um, now, we know this is a terrible, terrible news because Dumbledore's final words after, uh, right before he went into hiding or left the school or whatever mysterious thing he's gotten himself into, his last words to Harry before leaving were that he must study occlumency. He must. And Cozy Oregano has got a good question. I've always wondered why Snape chose to put that memory in the pensive. It's a very good question. Um, I think, oh, uh, Cozy is adding, Snape knowing Harry shouldn't have been surprised. Oh, Snape knowing Harry shouldn't have been surprised. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit at the end of the last uh, session, and we came upon the idea that perhaps this was Snape's sort of roundabout way, perhaps trying to get around some of Dumbledore's orders even, his roundabout way of showing Harry who his father really was. That's a possibility. Because I agree, he he should have known that, you know, Harry was... He, he's already had a conversation with Harry in which he warns Harry never to go snooping through his, his uh, uh, potion supplies again. We don't know. It's also possible that this was just the best way to keep it away, because remember, during Occlumency lessons, um, it's possible that Harry can get some sort of kickback um, in which, while Snape is trying to see into Harry's mind... Harry might get a glimpse into Snape's mind. <laughs> there we go, Tuna. Oh, man. Chester Mask, thank you. <laughs> That's pretty cool. It shows up on, on the mixer screen, too. Yeah, Joker. Um, the, the, uh, this, this bit of kickback is partially what, what Dumbledore is so concerned about, that uh, when Harry is seeing into Voldemort's mind, maybe Voldemort can see back. But we know this is this is terrible, terrible news. Essentially, um, this is directly going against what Dumbledore wanted for for this year and for Harry, and uh, it might very well be dangerous. But that's where we're at. Um, I just want to say hi to uh, everyone in Mixer. Looks like we got five in here right now. Welcome, welcome very much. Uh, love y'all. And in the Discord, I see Rainman, Rainman, uh, Amandi, Coop, Debbie, Jade, Joseph. Rachel, and Lorax. How y'all doing? It's great to see you. I look forward to reading to you right now. Let's get into the chapter, shall we? I think it's about time. Hi, Rainman. And remember, if you got something to talk about, throw it in chat. I'd love to talk about it. Chapter 29. Career Advice. Why haven't you got occlumency lessons anymore? Said Hermione, frowning. I've told you, Harry muttered. Snape reckons I can carry on by myself now that I've got the basics. So you've stopped having funny dreams? Said Hermione, skeptically. Pretty much, said Harry, not looking at her. Hmm. Well, I don't think you should stop until you're absolutely sure that you can control them. Said Hermione indignantly. Harry, I think you should go back and ask him. No, said Harry forcefully. Just drop it, okay, Hermione? It was the first day of the Easter holidays, and Hermione, 
as was her custom, had spent a large part of her day drawing up study schedules for the three of them. Harry and Ron had let her. It was easier than arguing with her, and in any case, they might come in useful. Ron had been startled to discover there were only six weeks left until their exams. How can that come as a shock? Hermione demanded as she tapped each little square on Ron's schedule with her wand so that it flashed a different color according to its subject. I don't know, said Ron. There's been a lot going on. Well, there you are, she said, handing him his timetable. If you follow that, you should do fine. Ron looked down at it gloomily, but then brightened. You've given me an evening off every week. That's for Quidditch practice, said Hermione. The smile faded from Ron's face. Oh, what's the point, he said dully. We've got about as much chance of winning the Quidditch Cup this year as Dad's got of becoming Minister for Magic. Hermione said nothing. She was looking at Harry, who was staring blankly at the opposite wall of the common room while Crookshanks pawed at his hand, trying to get his ears scratched. What's wrong, Harry? What? he said quickly. Nothing. He seized the copy of Defensive Magical Theory and pretended to be looking at something in the index. Crookshakes gave him up as a bad job and slunk away under Hermione's chair. I saw Cho earlier, said Hermione, t said Hermione tentatively. She looked really miserable, too. Have you two had a row again? What? Oh, yeah, we have, said Harry, seizing gratefully on the excuse. What about? That sneak friend of hers, Marietta, said Harry. Yeah, well, I don't blame you, said Ron angrily, setting down his revision timetable. If it hadn't been for her, Ron went into a rant about Marietta Edgecombe, which Harry found helpful. All he had to do was look angry, nod, and say, yeah, and that's right, whenever Ron drew a breath, leaving his mind free to dwell ever more miserably on what he had seen the pensive. He felt as though the memory of it were eating him from the inside. He had been so sure that his parents were wonderful people. He never had the slightest difficulty in disbelieving the aspersions that Snape cast on his father's character. Hadn't people like... Cynthia, welcome. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, I got distracted. Normally I keep that out of the way. Um... Hadn't people like Hagrid and Sirius told Harry how wonderful his father had been? Yeah, well, look what Sirius was like himself, said a nagging voice inside Harry's head. He was as bad, wasn't he? Yes, he had once overheard Professor McGonagall saying that his father and Sirius had been troublemakers at school. But she had described them as forerunners of the Weasley twins, and Harry could not imagine Fred and George dangling somewhat upside down for the fun of it. Not unless they really loathed them. Perhaps Malfoy or somebody who really deserved it. Harry tried to make a case for Snape having deserved what he'd suffered at James's hands. But hadn't Lily asked, What's he done to you? And hadn't James responded, It's more the fact that he exists, if you know what I mean? Hadn't James started at all simply because Sirius had said he was bored? Harry remembered Lupin, saying back in Grimald Place that Dumbledore had made him prefect in hope that he'd be able to exercise some control over James and Sirius. 
but in the pensive, he had just sat there, let it all happen. Harry kept reminding himself that Lily had intervened. His mother had been decent. Yet the memory of the look on her face as she had shouted at James disturbed him quite as much as anything else. She had clearly loathed James, and Harry simply could not understand how they could have ended up marrying. So twice he even wondered whether James had forced her into it. For nearly five years, the thought of his father had been a source of great comfort, of inspiration. Whenever someone had told him he was like James, he had glowed with pride inside. And now... Now he felt cold and miserable at the thought of him. The weather grew breezier, brighter, and warmer as the Easter holidays passed, but Harry, along with the rest of the fifth and seventh years, was trapped inside, traipsing back and forth to the library. Harry pretended his bad mood had no other cause but the approaching exams, and as his fellow Gryffindors were sick of studying themselves, his excuse went unchallenged. Harry? Harry? Harry, I'm talking to you. Can you hear me? Huh? He looked around. Ginny Weasley, looking very windswept, had joined him at the library table where he'd been sitting, alone. It was late on Sunday evening. Hermione had gone back to Gryffindor Tower to review ancient runes, and Ron had Quidditch practice. Oh, hi, said Harry, pulling his books toward him. How come you're not at practice? It's over, said Ginny. Ron had to take Jack Sloper up to the hospital wing. Why? Well, we're not sure, but we think he knocked himself out with his own bat. She sighed heavily. Anyway, a package just arrived. It's only just got through Umbridge's new screening process. She hoisted a box wrapped in brown paper onto the table. It had clearly been unwrapped and carelessly rewrapped. There was a scribbled note across it in red ink, reading, Inspected and passed by the Hogwarts High Inquisitor. It's Easter eggs from Mum, said Jenny. Here's one for you. There you go. She handed him a handsome chocolate egg, decorated with small iced snitches, and according to the packaging, containing a bag of fizzing whisbies. Harry looked at it for a moment, then to his horror, felt a lump rise in his throat. Are you okay, Harry? Jenny asked quietly. Yes, I'm fine said Harry gruffly. The lump in his throat was painful. He did not understand why an Easter egg should have made him feel like this. You seem really down lately, Ginny persisted. You know, I'm sure if you just talk to Cho... It's not Cho I want to talk to, said Harry brusquely. Who is it then? asked Ginny, watching him closely. I... He glanced around to make sure nobody was listening. Madame Pince was several shelves away, stamping out a pile of books for a frantic-looking Hannah Abbott. "'I wish I could talk to Sirius,' he muttered. "'But I know I can't.' Ginny continued to watch him thoughtfully. More to give himself something to do than because he really wanted any, Harry unwrapped his Easter egg, broke off a large bit, and put it into his mouth. Well, said Ginny slowly, helping herself to a bit of egg too, if you really want to talk to Sirius, 
I expect we could think of a way to do it. Come on, said Harry dully, with Umbridge policing the fires and reading all of our mail. The thing about growing up with Fred and George, said Ginny thoughtfully, is that you sort of start thinking of anything is possible if you've got enough nerve. Harry looked at her. Perhaps it was the effect of the chocolate. Lupin had always advised eating some after encounters with Dementors. Or perhaps because he had finally spoken aloud the wish that had been burning inside him for a week. But he felt a bit more hopeful. What do you think you're doing? Oh, damn, whispered Ginny, jumping to her feet. I forgot. Madame Pince was swooping down on him, her... On them, her shriveled face contorted with rage. Chocolate in the library? She screamed. Out! 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 And whipping out her wand, she caused Harry's books, bag, and ink bottle to chase him and Ginny from the library, whacking them repeatedly over the head as they ran. I know, Liberty, that's a great quote. And we're at a chatter break. Hey, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> we talked a little bit last time about what your, what your, uh, we'll call it your guerrilla <laughs> resistance techniques would have been under the new Umbridge re regime. Um, I'm curious, uh, right now, how you feel about Ron? Uh, Ron has had a, uh, he's had a rough run, uh, over the past, well, a little while here. Uh, maybe not as rough as Harry, but in one regard, Quidditch, uh, much worse than Harry. Um, how do you feel about him sort of like staying on the team versus quitting the team? And uh, how do you feel about everyone else sort of saying to him, you're not allowed to quit? <laughs> I think uh, I, I, I had a, a, a bit of a time when I was in middle school where I, I played some football and I had practiced an awful lot. Uh, I really wanted to be a quarterback. It felt like the right spot for me. And although my distance wasn't great, I was very accurate. Um, that I can still say with confidence. Um, but uh, when it got to actual play, when it wasn't just, you know, scrimmage and such, I didn't do super well. And uh, I I felt myself wanting to quit frequently. And uh, when I went to high school, I didn't continue on with it. But it's a bit like it's a, I, I think I was a little bit like Ron. I would get into my own head about it and, you know, I'm, uh, I'm curious how y'all feel about it. Have you ever been Ron? You've been good at something until the pressure's on? Coop says, Harry knows that Ron can do a good job. He just needs to believe in himself. Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen some good things from Ron. We just don't know how to draw it out of him yet. We'll see. We'll see what comes of it. Rachel says, sports have never been my thing, but I'd make the exception for Quidditch. I just, I have to think that flying would make it all worth it. Maybe not. I've never been terribly athletic. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Feel free to chat amongst yourselves. I'm going to keep reading. As though to underline the importance of their upcoming examinations, a batch of pamphlets, leaflets, and notices concerning various wizarding careers appeared on the tables in Gryffindor Tower, shortly before the end of the holiday, along with yet another notice on the board, which read, All fifth years are required to attend a short meeting with their head of house during the first week of the summer to discuss their future careers. Oh, excuse me, of the summer term. Times of individual appointments are listed below. 
Harry looked down to the list and found that he was expected in Professor McGonagall's office at half-past two on Monday, which would mean missing most of divinations. He and the other fifth years spent a considerable part of the final weekend of the Easter break reading all of the careers information that had been left there for their perusal. Well, I don't fancy healing, said Ron, on the last evening of the holidays. He was immersed with a leaflet that carried the crossed bone and wand emblem of St. Mungo's on its front. It says here that you need at least E at newt levels in potions, herbology, transfiguration, charms, and defense against the dark arts. I mean, <laughs> blimey, they don't want much, do they? Well, it's a very responsible job, isn't it? said Hermione absently. She was poring over a bright pink and orange leaflet that was headed, So you think you'd like to work in muggle relations? You don't seem to need many qualifications to liaise with muggles. All they want is an OWL in muggle studies. Much more, much more important is your enthusiasm, patience, and a sense of good fun. Hmm. You'd need more than a good sense of fun to liaise with my uncle, said Harry darkly. Good luck of it. A good sense of when to duck, more like. He was halfway through a pamphlet on wizard banking. Listen to this. Are you seeking a challenging career involving travel, adventure, and substantial danger-related treasure bonuses? Then consider a position with Gringotts Wizarding Bank, who are currently recruiting curse-breakers for thrilling opportunities abroad. They want arithmancy, though. You could do it, Hermione. I don't much fancy baking, said Hermione vaguely, now immersed in, Have you got what it takes to train security trolls? Hey, said a voice in Harry's ear. He looked round. Fred and George had come to join them. Ginny's had a word with us about you, said Fred, stretching his legs on the table in front of them and causing several booklets on careers with the Ministry of Magic to slide off the floor. Slide off onto the floor. She says you need to talk to Sirius. What? said Hermione sharply, freezing with her hand halfway toward picking up Make a bang at the Department of Magical Accidents and Catastrophes. Yeah, said Harry, trying to sound casual. Yeah, I thought I'd like... Don't be so ridiculous, said Hermione, straightening up and looking at him as though she could not believe her eyes. With Umbridge groping around in the fires and frisking all of the owls? Well, we think that we can find a way around that, said George, stretching and smiling. It's a simple matter of causing a diversion. Now, you might have noticed that we've been rather quiet in the mayhem during the Easter holidays. What was the point, we asked ourselves. Disrupting leisure time, continued Fred. No point at all, we answered ourselves. And of course we'd have messed up on people studying too, which would have been all the very last thing that we want to do. He gave Hermione a sanctimonious little nod. She looked rather taken aback by this thoughtfulness. But it's business as usual from tomorrow, Fred continued briskly, and if we're going to be causing a bit of uproar, why not do that so Harry can have his chat with Sirius? Yes, but still, said Hermione, with an air of explaining something very simple to somebody very obtuse. Even if you do cause a diversion, how is Harry supposed to talk to him? Umbridge's office, said Harry quietly. He had been thinking about it for a fortnight and he could come up with no alternative. 
Umbridge herself had told him that the only fire that was not being watched was her own. Are you insane? said Hermione in a hushed voice. Ron had lowered his leaflet on jobs to the cultivated fungus trade and was watching the conversation warily. I don't think so, said Harry, shrugging. And how are you supposed to get it in there in the first place? Harry was ready for this question. Sirius's knife, he said. Excuse me? Christmas before last, Sirius gave me a knife that'll open any lock, said Harry. So even if she's bewitched the door so that Olamahora won't work, which I'll bet she has. What do you think about this? Hermione demanded of Ron, and Harry was reminded irresistibly of Mrs. Weasley appealing to her husband during Harry's first dinner in Grimaud Place. I don't know, said Ron, looking alarmed at being asked about his opinion. If Harry wants to do it, it's up to him, isn't it? Spoken like a true friend in Weasley, said Fred, clapping Ron hard on the back. Right then, we're thinking of doing it tomorrow, just after lessons, because it should cause maximum impact if everyone's in the corridors. Harry, we'll set it off in the east wing somewhere, join her right away from her own office. I reckon we should be able to guarantee you, what, twenty minutes? He said, looking at George. Easy, said George. What sort of diversion is it? asked Ron. Oh, you'll see, little bro, said George, as he and George said Fred, as he and George got up again. At least you will if you trot along to see Gregory the Smarmy's corridor about five o'clock tomorrow. We had another chatter break. Talking about some serious introversion, huh? It's good to have friends that can push you to keep going, but I don't think quitting is always the terrible thing people say it is. As long as you're willing to put that energy into something else that'll make you grow as well, or even better than continuing the first thing would. I think uh, I think that's an interesting note, and I think uh, as we learn more and more about the Weasley twins, we're going to be uh, I, we'll have plenty to talk about on that front. It's a good note. Uh, I do worry when people stick with something for someone else. Yeah, yeah, when people are are locked in to something, and they they sort of sort of uh, I guess invent bad reasons to stay locked in. But talking about serious introversion. Coming back to the university every fall was interesting. Ooh. Nate says he was feeling sick before his last interview. Um, was that the interview for the job you've got now, Nate? Because there's a heck of, heck of a success story, right? <laughs> I don't want these chatter breaks to get too long on my end, so I'm going to keep going. Harry awoke very early the next day feeling almost as anxious as he had done in the mornings of his disciplinary hearing at the Ministry of Magic. It was not the only prospect of breaking... It was not only the prospect of breaking into Umbridge's office and using her to fire. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. It was not only the prospect of breaking into Umbridge's office and using her fire to speak to Sirius that was making him feel nervous. Though that was certainly bad enough. Today also happened to be the first time Harry would be in close proximity to Snape, since Snape had thrown him out of the office. After lying in bed for a while, thinking about the day ahead, Harry got up very quietly and moved across the window beside Neville's bed and stared out onto a truly glorious morning. The sky was a clear, misty, opalescent blue. Directly ahead of him, Harry could see the towering beech tree, below which his father, his father had once tormented Snape. 
He was not sure what Sirius could possibly say to him that would make up for what he had seen in the pensive, but he was desperate to hear Sirius's own account of what had happened, to know of any mitigating factors that there might have been, any excuse at all for his father's behavior. Something caught Harry's attention, movement on the edge of the forbidden forest. Harry squinted into the sun and saw Hagrid emerging from between the trees. He seemed to be limping. As Harry watched, Hagrid staggered to the door of his cabin and disappeared inside it. Harry watched the cabin for several minutes. Hagrid, Hagrid did not emerge again, but smoke unfurled from the chimney, so Hagrid could not be so badly injured that he was unequal to stoking the fire. Harry turned away from the window, heading back into his trunk and starting to dress. With the prospect of forcing entry into Umbridge's office ahead, Harry had never expected the day to be a restful one, but he had not reckoned on Hermione's almost continual attempts to dissuade him from what he was planning to do at five o'clock. For the first time ever, she was at least as, as inattentive to Professor Binns in History of Magic as Harry and Ron were, keeping up a stream of whispered admonitions that Harry tried very hard to ignore. And if she does catch you in there, apart from being expelled, she'll be able to guess that you've been talking to Snuffles. And this time I expect she'll force you to drink Veritaserum and answer her questions. Ron. I, that's me, I'm Ron. Hermione, said Ron in a low and indignant voice. Are you going to stop telling Harry off and listen to Bins, or am I going to have to take my own notes? You take notes for a change, it wouldn't kill you. By the time they reached the dungeons... Neither Harry nor Ron was speaking to Hermione. Undeterred, she took advantage of their silence to maintain an uninterrupted flow of dire warnings, all uttered under her breath in a vehement hiss that caused Seamus to wake, waste five whole minutes checking his cauldron for leaks. Snape, meanwhile, seemed to have decided to act as though Harry were invisible. Harry was, of course, well used to this tactic, as it was one of Uncle Vernon's favorites, and on the whole was grateful he had nothing worse to suffer. In fact, compared to what he usually had to endure from Snape, in the way of taunts and snide remarks, he found the new approach something of an improvement, and was pleased to find that, when left well enough alone, he was able to concoct an invigorating draught quite easily. At the end of the lesson, he scooped up some of the potion into a flask, uncorked it, and took it up to Snape's desk for marking, feeling that he might at least have scraped an E. He just looked away when he heard a smashing noise. Malfoy gave a gleeful yell of laughter. Harry whipped around. His potion sample lay in pieces on the floor, and Snape was surveying him with a look of gloating pleasure. Oops, he said softly. Another zero, then, Potter. Harry was too incensed to speak. He strode back to his cauldron, intending to fill another flask and force Snape to mark it, but he saw, to his horror, that the rest of the contents had vanished. <gasps> I'm sorry, said Hermione, with her hands over her mouth. I'm really sorry, Harry. I, I thought that you'd cleaned up. I thought you'd finished, so I, I cleared it. Harry could not bring himself to answer. When the bell rang, he hurried out of the dungeon without a backward glance and made sure he found himself in a seat between Neville and Seamus for lunch, so that Hermione could not start nagging him again about using Umbridge's office. He was in such a bad mood by the time he got to divination that he had quite forgotten his career's appointment with Professor McGonagall, 
remembering it only when Ron asked him why he wasn't in her office. He hurtled back upstairs and arrived out of breath only a few minutes late. Sorry, Professor, <sighs> he panted, and he closed the door. I forgot. No matter, Potter, she said briskly, but as she spoke, somebody else sniffed from the corner. Harry looked round. Professor Umbridge was sitting there, a clipboard on her knee, a fussy little pie frill around her neck, and a small, horribly smug smile on her face. Hmm. Sit down, Potter, said Professor McGonagall tersely. Her hands shook slightly as she shuffled the many pamphlets littering her desk. Harry sat down with his back to Umbridge and did his best to pretend he could not hear the scratching of her quill upon the keyboard. Well, Potter, this meeting is to talk about any career ideas you might have had and to help you decide which subjects you would like to continue in the sixth and seventh years, said Professor McGonagall. Have you got any ideas on what you'd like to do after Hogwarts? Uh, um, said Harry. He was finding the scratching noise from behind him very distracting. Yes, Professor McGonagall prompted Harry. Well, I thought of maybe being an aura, Harry mumbled. Hmm. You'd need top grades for that, said Professor McGonagall, extracting a small dark leaflet from under the mass at her desk and opening it. They ask for a minimum of five newts, and nothing under exceeds expectations grade, I see, and then you would be required to undergo a stringent series of character and aptitude tests at the Aura's office. It is a difficult career path, Potter. They only take the very best. In fact, I don't think anyone has been taken on in the last three years. At this moment, Professor Umbridge gave a very tiny cough, as though trying to see how quietly she could do it. Professor McGonagall ignored her. "'You'll want to know which subjects to take, I suppose,' she went on, talking a little louder than before. "'Yes,' said Harry. "'Defense against the dark arts, I suppose.' "'Naturally,' said Professor McGonagall crisply. "'I would also advise—' Professor Umbridge gave another cough— a little more audible this time. <clears throat> Professor McGonagall closed her eyes for a moment, opened them, and continued as though nothing had happened. I would also advise transfiguration, because auras frequently need to transfigure or untransfigure in their work, and I, I ought to tell you now, Potter, that I, I do not accept students into my NEWT classes unless they have achieved exceeds expectations or higher at ordinary wizarding level. I'd say that you're averaging acceptable at the moment, so you'll need to put in some good hard work before the exams to stand a chance of continuing. Then you ought to do charms, always useful, and potions. Yes, Potter potions, she added, with the merest flicker of a smile. Poisons and antidotes are a central study for orders. And I must tell you that Professor Snape absolutely refuses to take students who get anything other than outstanding in their OWLs. So, <laughs> Professor Umbridge gave her most pronounced cough yet. Might I offer you a cough drop, Dolores? Professor McGonagall asked curtly, without looking at Professor Umbridge. 
Oh, no, thank you very much, said Umbridge, with that simpering laugh Harry hated so much. <laughs> I was just wondering whether I could make the teensiest interruption, Minerva. I dare say that you'll find you can, said Professor McGonagall through tightly gritted teeth. I was just wondering whether Mr. Potter has quite the temperament for an aura, said Professor Umbridge sweetly. Were you? said Professor McGonagall haughtily. Well, Potter, she continued, as though there had been no interruption. If you're serious in this ambition, I would advise you to concentrate hard on bringing your transfiguration and potions up to scratch. I see Professor Flitwick has graded you between acceptable and exceeds expectations for the last two years, so your charm work seems satisfactory. As for defense against the dark arts, your marks have been generally high. Uh, Professor Lupin, in particular, thought that you— Are you quite sure that you don't need a cough drop, Dolores? Oh, no need. Thank you, Minerva, simpered Professor Umbridge, who just coughed her loudest yet. I was just wondering that you might not have had Harry's most recent defense against dark arts marks in front of you. I'm sure I slipped you a note. What, this thing? said Professor McGonagall in a tone of revulsion as she pulled a sheet of pink parchment from between the leaves of Harry's folder. She glanced down at it, her eyebrows slightly raised, then placed it back into the folder without comment. Yes, as I was saying, Potter, Professor Lupin thought you showed a pronounced aptitude for the subject, and obviously for an aura. Did you not understand my note, Minerva? asked Professor Umbridge in honeyed tones, quite forgetting to cough. Of course I understood it, said Professor McGonagall, her teeth clenched so tightly the words came out a little, a little muffled. Well, then, I am confused. I... I'm afraid I don't quite understand how you can give Mr. Potter false hope that— False hope? repeated Professor McGonagall, still refusing to look round at Professor Umbridge. He has achieved high marks in all of his defense against the dark arts tests. I am terribly sorry to contradict you, Minerva, but as you see from my note, Harry has been achieving very poor results in his classes with me. I should have made my meaning plainer said Professor McGonagall, turning at last to look Umbridge directly in the eyes. He has achieved high marks in all defense against the dark arts tests set by a competent teacher. Professor Umbridge's smile vanished as suddenly as a light bulb blowing. Tsh! She sat back in her chair, turning a sheet from her clipboard and began scribbling very fast indeed, her bulging eyes rolling from side to side. Professor Umbridge turned back to Harry, her thin nostrils flared, her eyes burning. Any questions, Potter? Yes, said Harry. What sort of character and aptitude tests do the Ministry do on you, if you get enough NEWTs? Well, you'll need to demonstrate the ability to react well to pressure and so forth, said Professor McGonagall. Perseverance and dedication, because aura training takes a further three years, not to mention very high skills in practical defense. It will mean a lot more study, even after you've left school, unless you're prepared to. I think you are also find, said Umbridge, her voice very cold now, that the Ministry looks into the records of those applying to be aurors. 
their criminal records. Unless you're prepared to take even more exams off the Hogwarts, you should really look at another. Which means that this boy has as much chance of becoming an aura as Dumbledore has of ever returning to this school. A very good chance, then, said Professor McGonagall. Potter has a criminal record. Potter has been cleared of all charges, said McGonagall, even more loudly. Professor Umbridge stood up. She was so short that this did not make a great deal of difference, but her fussy, simpering demeanor had given place to a hard fury that made her broad, flabby face look oddly sinister. Potter has no chance whatsoever of becoming an aura. Professor McGonagall got to her feet, too, and in her case this was a much more impressive move. She towered over Professor Umbridge. Potter, she said in ringing tones, I will assist you to becoming an order if it is the last thing I do. If I have to coach you nightly, I will make sure that you achieve the results desired. The Minister for Magic will never employ Harry Potter, said Umbridge, her voice raising furiously. Well, then it might be a new Minister for Magic by the time Potter is ready to join, shouted Professor McGonagall. Aha! shrieked Professor Umbridge, pointing a stubby finger at McGonagall. Yes, 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 of course. That is what you want, isn't it, Professor McGonagall? You want Cornelius Fudge replaced by our Dumbledore. You think you'll be where I am, don't you? Senior Undersary to the Minister and Headmistress to boot. You are raving, said Professor McGonagall, superbly disdainful. Potter... This concludes our career consultation. Harry swung his bag over his shoulder and hurried out of the room, not daring to look at Professor Umbridge. He could hear her and Professor McGonagall continuing to shout at each other all the way back down the corridor. And that's a chatter break, folks. <laughs> I don't even have a question for you right now. Just how good is McGonagall? Coop saying, can you imagine trying to talk about your future with Umbridge in the room? And Liberty says, so glad McGonagall doesn't crumble. Absolutely. God, having those, having those, those strong people who are in your corner in education, super important. B Spoons, welcome to chat and mixer. How you doing? Let's keep going. Professor Umbridge was still breathing as though she had just run a race when she strode into their Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson that afternoon. I hope you've thought better of what you were planning to do, Harry, Hermione whispered, the moment that they had opened their books to Chapter 34, Non-Retaliation and... Oh, boy. Chapter 34, Non-Retaliation and Negotiation. Umbridge looks like she's in a really bad mood already. Every now and then, Umbridge shot glowering looks at Harry, who kept his head down, staring at defensive magical theory, his eyes unfocused, thinking... He could just imagine Professor McGonagall's reaction if he were caught trespassing in Professor Umbridge's office mere hours after she had vouched for him. There was nothing to stop him simply going back to Gryffindor Tower and hoping that sometime during the next summer holidays he'd have a chance to ask Sirius about the scene he had witnessed in the pensive. Nothing, except the thought of taking this sensible course of action made him feel as though... What? Nothing, except that the thought of taking this sensible course of action made him feel as though a lead weight had dropped in his stomach. I'm not sure how to read this sentence. 
nothing except, um, let's see. There was nothing. Oh, I see. Okay. There was nothing to stop him um, from just putting his plan on pause. Nothing except that the thought of taking this sensible course of action made him feel as though a lead weight had dropped in his stomach. Then there was the matter of Fred and George, whose diversion had already been planned, not to mention the knife Sirius had given him, which was currently residing in his school bag along with his father's old invisibility cloak. But the fact remained that if he got caught... Dumbledore sacrificed himself to keep you in this school, Harry, whispered Hermione, raising her book to hide her face from Umbridge. And if you get thrown out today, it would have all been for nothing. He could abandon the plan and simply learn to live with the memory of what his father had done on a summer's day more than twenty years ago. And then he remembered Sirius in the fire upstairs in the Gryffindor common room. You're less like your father than I thought. The risk would have been what made it fun for James. But did he want to be like his father anymore? Harry, don't do it. Please don't do it. Hermione said in anguished tones as the bell rang at the end of class. He did not answer. He did not know what to do. Ron seemed determined to give neither his opinion nor his advice. He would not look at Harry, though when Hermione opened her mouth to try dissuading Harry some more, he said in a low voice, Give a rest, okay? He can make up his own mind. Harry's heart beat very fast as he left the classroom. He was halfway along the corridor outside when he heard the unmistakable sounds of a diversion going off in the distance. There were screams and yells reverberating from somewhere above them. People exiting classrooms all around Harry were stopping in their tracks and looking up at the ceiling fearfully. Umbridge came pelting out of her classroom as fast as her short legs would carry her. Pulling out her wand, she hurried off in the opposite direction. It was now or never. Harry, please, Hermione pleaded weakly. But he had made up his mind. Hitching his bag more securely onto his shoulder, he set off at a run, weaving in and out of students, now hurrying in the opposite direction to see what all the fuss was going about in the, in the east wing. Harry reached the corridor to Umbridge's office and found it deserted. Dashing behind a large suit of armor whose helmet creaked around to watch him, he pulled open his bag, seized Sirius's knife, and donned the invisibility cloak. He then crept slowly and carefully out from behind the suit of armor and along the corridor until he reached Umbridge's door. He inserted the blade of the magical knife into the crack and moved it up and down gently, then withdrew it. There was a tiny click, and the door swung open. He ducked inside the office, closed the door quickly behind him, and looked around. Nothing was moving except the horrible kittens that were still frolicking on the plates above the confiscated broomsticks. Harry pulled off his cloak and, striding over to the fireplace, found what he was looking for within seconds. A small box containing glittering flu powder. He crouched down in front of the empty gate, his hands shaking. He had never done this before. Though he thought he knew how it might work. Sticking his head into the fireplace, he took a large pinch of powder and dropped it onto the logs stacked neatly beneath him. They exploded at once into emerald green flames. Number twelve, Grimold Place, Harry said loudly and clearly. 
It was one of the most curious sensations he had ever experienced. He had traveled by flu powder before, of course, but then it had been his entire body that had swung, swung around and around in the flames through the network of wizarding fireplaces that stretched over every country. This time, his knees remained firm on the floor of Umbridge's office, and only his head hurtled through the emerald fire. And then, as abruptly as it had begun, the spinning stopped. Feeling rather sick, and as though he were wearing an exceptionally hot muffler around his head, Harry opened his eyes to find that he was looking out of the kitchen fireplace at the long wooden table, where a man sat, poring over a piece of parchment. Serious? The man jumped and looked around. It was not Sirius, but Lupin. Harry, he said, looking thoroughly shocked. What are you... What's happened? Is everything all right? Yeah, said Harry. I just wondered. I mean, I just fancied a... a chat with Sirius. I'll call him, said Lupin, getting to his feet, still looking perplexed. He went upstairs to look for Creature. He seems to be hiding in the attic again. Then Harry saw Lupin hurry out of the kitchen. Now he was left with nothing to look at but the chair and table legs. He wondered why Sirius had never mentioned how very uncomfortable it was to speak out of the fire. His knees were already objecting painfully to their prolonged contact with Umbridge's hard stone floor. Lupin returned with Sirius at his heels moments later. "'What is it?' said Sirius urgently, sweeping his long, dark hair out of his eyes and dropping to the ground in front of the fire, so that he and Harry were on a level. Lupin knelt down too, looking very concerned. "'Are you all right? Do you need help?' "'No,' said Harry. "'It's nothing like that.' "'I just wanted to talk about my dad.' They exchanged a look of great surprise, but Harry did not have time to feel awkward or embarrassed. His knees were getting sorer by the second, and he guessed five minutes had already passed from the start of the diversion. George had only guaranteed him twenty. He therefore plunged immediately into the story of what he had seen the pensive. When he had finished, neither Sirius nor Lupin spoke for a moment. Then Lupin said quietly, I wouldn't like you to judge your father on what you saw there, Harry. He was only fifteen. I'm fifteen, said Harry heatedly. Look, Harry, said Sirius, placatingly, James and Snape hated each other from the moment they laid eyes on each other. It was just one of those things. You can understand that, can't you? I think James was everything Snape wanted to be. He was very popular, he was good at Quidditch, good at pretty much everything. But Snape was just this little oddball was up to his eyes in the dark arts, and, and James, whatever else he may have appeared to you, Harry, he always hated the dark arts. Yeah, said Harry, but he just attacked Snape for no good reason. Just because, well, just because you said you were bored, he finished, with a slightly apologetic note in his voice. I'm not proud of it, said Sirius quickly. Lupin looked sideways at Sirius, then said, Look, Harry, what you've got to understand is that your father and Sirius were the best in the school at whatever they did. Everyone thought they were the height of cool, even if they sometimes got carried away. 
If we were sometimes arrogant little burks, you mean, said Sirius. Lupin smiled. He kept messing up his hair, said Harry in a pained voice. Sirius and Lupin laughed. <laughs> I forgot he used to do that, said Sirius affectionately. Was he playing with the snitch, said Lupin eagerly. Yeah, said Harry, watching uncomprehendingly as Sirius and Lupin beamed reminiscently. Well, I thought he was a bit of an idiot. Of course he was a bit of an idiot, said Sirius bracingly. We were all idiots. Well, not Mooney so much, he said fairly, looking at Lupin. Lupin shook his head. Did I ever tell you to lay off Snape? Did I ever have the guts to tell you that you were out of order? Yeah, well, said Sirius, you made us feel ashamed of ourselves sometimes. That was something. And, said Harry doggedly, determined to say everything that was on his mind now, now that he was here. He kept looking over at the girls by the lake, hoping that they were watching him. Oh, yeah, well, he always made a fool of himself whenever Lily was around, said Sirius, shrugging. He couldn't stop himself showing off whenever he got near her. How come she married him? Harry said miserably. She hated him. No, she didn't, said Sirius. She started going out with him in seventh year, said Lupin. Once James had deflated his head a little bit, said Sirius. And stopped hexing people just for the fun of it, said Lupin. Even Snape, said Harry. Well said Lupin slowly. Snape was a special case. I mean, he never lost the opportunity to curse James, so you couldn't really expect James to take that lying down, could you? And my mum was okay with that. She didn't know too much about it, to tell you the truth, said Sirius. I mean, James didn't take Snape on their dates with her and jinx him in front of her, now did he? Sirius frowned at Harry, who was still looking unconvinced. Look, he said. Oh. Look, he said. Your father was the best friend I ever had, and he was a decent person. A lot of people are idiots at the age of 15. He grew out of it. Yeah, okay, said Harry heavily. I just never thought that I'd feel sorry for Snape. Hmm, now that you mention it said Lupin, a faint crease between his eyebrows. How did Snape react when he found out that you'd seen all of this? He told me he'd never teach me occlumency again, said Harry indifferently. Like that's a big disapp- He what? shouted Sirius, causing Harry to jump and inhale a mouthful of ashes. Are you serious, Harry? said Lupin quickly. He's stopped giving you lessons. Yeah, said Harry, surprised by what he considered a great overreaction. But it's okay, I don't care. It's a bit of a relief if I would be telling you that... I'm coming up there to have a word with Snape, said Sirius forcefully, and he actually made to stand up, but Lupin watched him. Oh, but Lupin wrenched him back down again. If anyone's going to tell Snape, it will be me, he said firmly. But, Harry, first of all, you're going to go back to Snape and tell, them tell him on no account is he to stop giving you lessons. When Dumbledore hears... I... Can't tell him that, he'd kill me, said Harry, outraged. You didn't see him when we got out of the pensive. Harry, there is nothing so important as you learning occlumency, said Lupin sternly. Do you understand me? Nothing, 
Okay, okay, said Harry, thoroughly discomposed, not to mention annoyed. I'll, I'll try and say something to him, but it won't be... He fell silent. He could hear distant footsteps. Is that creature coming downstairs? No, said Sirius, glancing behind him. Must be somebody on your end. Harry's heart skipped several beats. I'd better go, he said hastily, and pulled his head backward out of Grimald Place's fire. For a moment, his head seemed to be revolving on his shoulders, then he found himself nearing, kneeling in front of Umbridge's fire, with it firmly back on and watching the emerald flames flicker and die. Quickly, quickly, he heard a wheezy voice mutter right outside the office door. Ah, she's left it open. Harry dived for the invisibility cloak and just managed to pull it back over himself when Filch burst into the office. He looked absolutely delighted about something and was talking to himself feverishly as he crossed the room, pulled open a drawer in Umbridge's desk and began rifling through the papers inside it. Approved for whipping! Approved for whipping! I can do it at last! Oh, they've had it coming to him for years! He pulled out a piece of parchment, kissed it, and then shuffled rapidly back out the door, clutching it to his chest. Harry leapt to his feet, and making sure that he had his bag and that the invisibility cloak was completely covering him, he wrenched open the door and hurried out of the office after Filch, who was hobbling along faster than Harry had ever seen him go. One landing down from Umbridge's office, Harry thought it was safe to become visible again. He pulled off the cloak, shoved it into his bag, and hurried outwards. There was a great deal of shouting and movement coming from the entrance hall. He ran down the marble staircase and found what looked like most of the school assembled there. Here it comes, folks. It was just like the night when Trelawney had been sacked. Students were standing all around the walls in a great ring. Some of them, Harry noticed, covered in a substance that looked very much like stink sap. Teachers and ghosts were also in the crowd. Prominent among the onlookers were members of the inquisitorial squad, who were all looking exceptionally pleased with themselves and Peeves, who was bobbing overhead, gazed down at Fred and George, who stood in the middle of the floor with the unmistakable look of two people who had just been cornered. So, said Umbridge triumphantly. Harry realized she was standing just a few stairs in front of him, looking more, once more, looking down upon her prey. So, you think it amusing to turn a school corridor into a swamp, do you? Pretty amusing, yeah, said Fred, looking up at her without the slightest sign of fear. Filch elbowed his way closer to Umbridge, almost crying with happiness. I've, I've got the form, headmistress, he said hoarsely, waving the piece of parchment Harry had just seen from the desk. I got the form, and I got the whips waiting. Oh, let me do it now. Archander, welcome to Scooter Patrol. Very good, Argus, she said. You two, she went on, gazing down at Fred and George. You two are about to learn what happens to wrongdoers in my school. You know what, said Fred. I don't think we are. He turned to his twin. George, he said, I think we've outgrown full-time education. Yeah, I've been feeling that way myself, said George lightly. 
Time to test our talents in the real world, do you reckon? Asked Fred. Definitely, said George. And before Umbridge could say a word, they raised their wands and said together, Accio brooms! Harry heard a crash somewhere in the distance. Looking to his left, he ducked just in time. Fred and George's broomsticks, one still trailing the heavy chains and iron peg to which Umbridge had fastened them to the wall, were hurtling along the corridor toward their owners. They turned left, streaked down the stairs, and stopped sharply in front of the twins, the chain clattering loudly to the flagged stone floor. "'We won't be seeing you,' Fred told Professor Umbridge, swinging his leg over his broomstick. "'Yeah, don't bother keeping in touch,' said George, mounting his own. Fred looked down at the assembled students, at the silent, watchful crowd. "'If anyone fancies buying a portable swamp, as demonstrated upstairs, come to number 93, Diagon Alley. Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes,' he said in a loud voice. "'Our new premises!' "'Special discounts to Hogwarts students who swear that they're going to use our products to get rid of this old bat,' added George, pointing at Professor Umbridge. "'Stop them!' shrieked Umbridge, but it was too late. As the Inquisitorial squad closed in, Fred and George kicked off from the floor, shooting fifteen feet into the air, the iron peg swinging dangerously below. Fred looked across the hall, at the poltergeist bobbing his level above the crowd. "'Give a hell for most Peeves!' And Peeves, who Harry had never seen take an order from a student before, swept his belled hat from his head and sprang to a salute as Fred and George wheeled about to tumultuous applause from the students below and sped out of the open front doors into the glorious sunset. What a scene have we had here. <laughs> what a scene! Give a hell from us, Peeves. That's right. <laughs> Rachel says the respect among mischief makers. Yeah, Jujubee says, give her hell from us, Peeves. Archie Andrew, welcome to the Scooter Patrol. We have just finished up our chapter for tonight. Um, tonight was chapter 29. We're on to chapter 30 next week. That's how numbers work. I appreciate you all sticking me through my rambling. Just sticking me. <laughs> What a great way to leave school. What a great way to be done. And I think this goes back to what, uh, what uh, I think it was Liberty. Liberty, is it you saying it before? But um, what, if you are going to be, if you're going to be ceasing to pursue something, it's important that you are pursuing something, right? So even if it's not, you know, you can, it's perfectly all right to, to, to stop something. I stopped playing football and I'm not sad that I did. But you have to have something to throw that energy into. You have to be doing something. You always have to be learning something and always have to be, um, uh, uh, I don't know, you always have to have something that you're pursuing. Um, it will serve you. It can only serve you well in the future to, to, to be pursuing uh, actively things that you are, are learning and trying to understand and, and get better at. Um, there's, there's an old saying that I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher. Uh, I found it rather recently. It, it has fascinated me. Um, a ship with no heading can find no favorable wind, which means that luck doesn't exist unless you've got something that you're trying to pursue. Um, and uh, there's also that old saying that I'm sure a lot of you have heard before, uh, luck is the combination of preparation and timing. 
And I think they're saying much the same thing, but... Um, Oh, Jujubee, have a great night. Thanks for listening. Give her hell from us, peeves. Jujubee, Jujubee, give it hell. <laughs> give it hell from us. Here at School to Patrol. <laughs> and this is what the Weasley twins have decided to do. You notice, they have not spent any time. As a matter of fact, they did, they did something uh, in a pretty smart way. Not only did they, when they, when they were done with school... They're pursuing something professionally here. And it's something that they worked hard at. I think this is the big thing that gets confused a lot when people say, um, you know, like, uh, you know, Bill Gates was a college dropout or, you know, this person was a high school dropout, what have you. It's not because they dropped out and then pursued something. And I don't think people should look at that as an excuse. They dropped out because they had something better going on. And as goofy as it is with the Weasleys, like... It is something that is going to that they're good at and that they have worked hard to achieve. They they worked really hard to get where they are. Um, you notice that Hermione has even been impressed with the the new um, you know uh, the new witchcraft that has gone into um, making Weasley's wizard wheezes into a reality. She's impressed with some of these jinxes and charms and such. Fred and George got good at this, and then they left. And this is their other thing that they've got going on. So uh, I, I really like, um, like I said, I think it was Liberty's timing. But uh, this is what they're up to. They are going to go, and uh, when they, when they are, when they've decided that school is no longer for them, they've decided they're not going to pursue this anymore. They've got a plan. They know where they're headed. And uh, I think it's fascinating what they decide to do. Uh, we also talked a little bit about <laughs> how people would go about. Um, with their sort of, with their rebellion efforts in the school and the the way in which the Weasley twins accomplish this is possibly uh, the most organized anybody's uh, anybody's defenses have been so far. Anybody's, I guess, to be more offenses, haven't they? Um, they are they are now supplying and inciting rebellion within the school. Um, doing what they do best. I think that's one of the important things to, uh, to take just from this whole series at large. Um, when you're involved with some big effort, I think there's a, there's a huge impulse. At least I know I feel it. There's always a huge impulse for me to feel like if there's a movement going on, I need to be a leader within that. I need to be a leader or even sometimes I need to be the leader. I think, obviously, it's important to have leaders. It is important to have good leaders. Um, but I think it's important we don't discount the value of people like Fred and George. I've said it before. I've said it over the course of a couple of different books at this point. The movement surrounding Harry Potter is an important one. It's a movement that supports truth and uh, understanding between individuals, between, you know, wizards and non-wizards. Um, it is one that uh, sides with those who would see equality between people and would see people treated like people. Um, uh, a group that even with uh, some of its newer members is trying to dispel the, the attitudes toward, uh, like, house elves, for instance, other subjugated individuals. Um, um, it's growing, it's learning, but ultimately what this movement wants is a good thing. 
But think about how many people within that are leaders and think about how many people within that contributed massively, not by leading, but by doing something that they were good at, or even just by their hard work or by their loyalty. Very important contributions coming from all over the place. And uh, I don't want people to forget that. I think that's important. And it's one of the big things that I gathered from this series overall. Sorry, I'm breaking up for you, Liberty. Let's see. Liberty says, yes, I love we get to see a squib who does well and leads a happy life. A squib who doesn't, as a contrast, and Neville as someone who's almost a squib but chooses to stick with it. Yeah, not only has he chosen to stick with it, and but here's another one, you know, uh, this is uh, another example of sort of that perseverance and perseverance even when you're changing tracks, you know, changing what you plan to do. Um, there's perseverance like Fred and George who are going to, they're going to persevere and become very good at their craft, even though school doesn't look like it's in the plans for them. Um, Neville has persevered at the very same thing. He knows that what he's pursuing is a good thing. And he is doubling his efforts in, in, um, the, uh, defense against the dark arts. I almost said he's doubling his efforts in the dark arts. Um, he's doubling his efforts there and no one is growing more, more quickly than he is in their, in their defense abilities. Debbie says, this is one of my favorite chapters, just the way Fred and George exit. It's a fantastic scene. Yep, they're playing to their strengths. Coop says, even Ron said he was impressed that they weren't just screwing around. I like to think that the school itself is on their side. Yeah, I think, you know what they're doing? Think about, we we think of things as established. We A lot of times we think of things as established and unchangeable. But remember where, remember uh, Zonko's joke shop? Who was Zonko? We, of course, don't know, but that would be kind of a funny spinoff series, though, wouldn't it? Um, who was Zonko? If not somebody just like Fred and George who worked hard and got better at at um, the, the jokes and the pranks that he was selling and uh, innovated in his craft and got better at it and become a better businessman and eventually grew uh, this, this uh, joke um, industry, you know? He probably wasn't solely responsible. He or she or they, I, I don't know exactly who Zonko was. I don't think we know that. Um, but uh, whoever Zonko was, they worked hard and they became a better business person. And um, I think Fred and George are doing the same thing. Uh, let's see. Thanks for the great reading, says Xtina. I'm pretty sure. Good night. Have a good one, Xtina. Yeah, it's beans time, isn't it? I want to talk to Chad a little bit longer, then it's time for beans. Beans. Yeah, McQuay here. You know it's time for beans when McQuay is here. Um, uh, ooh, a great note from from uh, Coop. Oh, <laughs> is that the bean barge? <laughs> oh man, Nate's throwing the bean barge into chat. <laughs> I like those a lot. Bean barge pulling in. Um, Coop says, we tend, at least in the U.S., to see movements as great person movements. And I think you're exactly right. This was actually, there were different historical models um, at, at various times during history. Um, they would talk about how history is made. Um, and there was a great individual um, era in history where the, the primary theory as to how historical events 
happened were ascribed to individuals who had a massive capacity for change. Um, I think more recently we have, um, or at least um, uh, a large part of the scientific uh, historical community rather, has deviated away from this and considered more of a trends and um, trends and and uh, oh, I don't remember what the other one was. It's trends and something, but uh, that's overall movements that uh, that get started over time and pick up traction. And by the the movement, that is how change happens. There are often individual names associated with it simply because over time, many names are stripped away. We remember, you know, the, the further you get out from reading one of these books, the, the, the fewer names you remember until eventually, of course, you'll just remember the name Harry Potter. That's a, that's a sad little hypothetical I just put out there. But, you know, ultimately, when you when you look at a historical event, you sort of zoom out and zoom out until the only name you really see is Babe Ruth. You know, who knows much about that? Obviously, there are people who know a lot about that time, and those people won't forget. But over time, fewer and people, fewer and fewer people of those real historical buffs on certain events exist. And so what we get is just one name or two names sometimes that get that get pasted onto a particular event in history. Um and much like this, I think we could call those we could call those the movement of of one person. But I think uh, even more important is to call it the movement of people, because it reminds us the part that we have to play in that. Um, yeah, sorry, I was breaking up for a little bit. Let's see. All right, one more little bit of chat, and then I'm gonna get my I'm gonna see if I can get my assistant in there. talk about sea monkeys. <laughs> um, w. Grace says, I wonder if it's partly because of the way school is set up. You have to learn key points, aka event and main person to get uh, down on the test. Oh, to put down on the test. I think that's a great point. Um, and boy, man, it was one of the reasons I, honestly, even more in hindsight than in person, but uh, McQuigway, you'll remember, um, I took a class called AP World History. And I learned more in that class, more that I carry with me in my sort of day-to-day -day thinking. Um, I learned more about how I try to analyze movements and events in history and how big they are and how none of them happen in a vacuum. McCoy, did you not take that one? I feel like we've had this discussion before and I'm sure I'm in the wrong here. Um, hard no. Yeah, there were a lot of people who weren't a fan of that class, but I learned so much about thinking critically about different events and and how none of them happen in a vacuum. There are so many variables and factors that are involved with um, learning uh, learning about a movement or an event in history. So rarely does it come down to one person. I learned a lot from that class. If you can if you can get in with a history class where you can learn about not just the people and the events and the the sort of headlines of it, the stuff that would have gone in the newspaper. Um, on the on the day after the event, if you can learn the stuff that went into the newspaper on the back pages in the weeks leading up to it and the months and the years leading up to it, it'll teach you an incredible amount about uh, about how history is made. Okay. Y'all ready for beans? I'm gonna go get my assistant. Just a moment. Oh, I'm back and it's beans time. What a song. That was loud.
I'm about to put it in my mouth anyway. No sense in this. All right, here we go. Oh, I need the package. You have to guess too now. I need the box. Do you? I don't think you had it. Did you have last one? Last? Yeah. How talented do you think I am? All right, bad audio things. All right. All right. Ready? Um. Here we go. It's beans time. I'm ready. I feel like an unusually large bean, as it were. Okay. I think some of that outer shell has absorbed some of the stank from in there. Alright. Hmm. I can't tell. It's not so overtly bad that I think it's a bad one. So I think it's supposed to be a good one. But like this badge is hard to tell. Tasty. Hmm? I feel like this one would be tasty. Yeah. None of them are. <laughs> None of them are tasty. Um, I'm thinking birthday cake. It could be. Maybe. I thought it was coconut. Possible it's birthday cake. I don't think it's spots. coconut, but it might be. The bean stank is usually pervasive. Usually, you guess so far off that it's very clearly not <laughs> the right answer. But it is so hot. In I'm gonna call it one with an asterisk. Holy don't look. <laughs> Put it on the tongue shelf. Color is not showing. Put it in the trunk, in the tongue drawer. <laughs> Anyone who wants to learn more about the tongue drawer can go and listen to Frankenstein on Tuesdays. <laughs> it's not a real thing, but it sounds like something you might have. Hmm. This is a good one. Okay. Through and through, it's a good one. Tastes like chocolate. Um. Hmm. I mean, it's a fairly distinct chocolate flavor. Is chocolate even an option? That's cheating. Um, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna go with chocolate. That's my final answer. Chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding. I'm gonna call that two with an asterisk. <laughs> two with an asterisk. Yeah, two with two asterisks. Because <laughs> we're not sure what the first one was for real. So that's two with two asterisks. No, you specifically. I'm guessing it's birthday cake because you okay. Specifically birthday cake. Okay. Ready? I think it was birthday cake. Okay, so two with an asterisk. All right. No, I'm not ready. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta keep remembering to refill some coffee beans. Um, I used to do improv in high school, and before the shows, somebody would, somebody had chocolate covered espresso beans. Those were really good. They're a little gritty, but it's good. <laughs> you know, gritty. That's what you want in a, in a, a chapter. Luke, it is finished for tonight. Chapter. Sorry about that. What did I say? You said that's what you want in a chapter. That's what you want in a, in a snack. That's what I meant. In a dessert. I, I was reading Luke said uh, chapter finished for the night, and it is, unfortunately. But it's going to be available uh, here on Mixer. I think it'll stop processing in the next 10, 20 minutes. So you'll be able to catch it. And then next week, it'll be up on YouTube. All right. I think I'm, I think I'm at two, right? Yep. All right. I'm ready.
interesting. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Don't, mm-mm. don't talk about interesting. Don't do it. Okay, whatever, I guess. <laughs> You're not going for detail, just the color profile. It's a bad bean. Well, that's the issue. Color profile's the issue. It keys out <laughs> things that aren't green. Tuna says, a snack like me. Okay. So it's definitely a bad one. It's got some of that sort of rotten eggness to it. I'm not going to commit to that yet. Just let me let me relish this rotting smell. I'm not going to talk very much. This is really bad. Ugh. It doesn't have any of the weird grass thing. It's just got weird bad rot stuff to it. I'm going to go with like a gentle rotten egg, I think. That's my answer. Well, it's not a gentle rotten egg. It's just rotten egg. Yes. Also asterisk. I'm just kidding. Mm-mm. You only know what flavor it is. You don't know how gentle or severe it is. Well, it doesn't say. That means I get to decide. That's right. It me. Yeah, having some having some espresso, some chocolate covered espresso beans to sort of clear the palate afterward. That would be nice. Rachel says permanent egg stank. Amandy, welcome. I thought it was a new name. I hope you have a I hope you have a good night and uh I'll I'll adios you later. That's the translation, right? Okay, I'm ready for my next one. How many more do we have? I think that was three or four. That was three. That was three. I'm I'm three for three. Are they closed? No, they're not because I'm I'm so excited. You're three for three, but all of them have asterisks. Nah. <laughs> the plural is actually asteroid. Okay. It's strong. There's a strong fruit flavor there. Mm. Really strong. It's definitely a good bean. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with what's going on here. It's not a tasty, it's not a tasty bean that I enjoy, but it's supposed to be, it's a good bean. It is a light side bean. It is a Jedi bean. Let's see. I think it's fruity. Ba -ba. Um... I think it's fruity, but I, you know how I am about picking out artificial fruit flavors. Taste. That was a hint. It's the smoothie one. <laughs> Dang it. Yes. <laughs> I don't care. I've already got an asterisk. I still got it right. Yes. Yes. She said fruits. That was the key. She said fruits. And the moment you said fruits, I was like, there's banana in there, but it came on too strong to just be banana. And then I saw the matrix. It rushed down in front of my eyes right, and I saw the whole thing. No, I'm, I'm reveling. I'm giving you this one because it's... <laughs> fruits like me, says Tuna. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you jumping in. Um, okay. I'm four for four. A heavily asterisked four for four. I think my asterisk might be bigger than the number four. Extra discolored, is that what you said? 
Yeah, tune in with the color commentary. Oh man. Nate, I would love you to do color commentary for like an esports <laughs> esports um show or something. For for a tournament. For I want I want you to do PUBG. I really think it's funny that it's just Michaela and Nathan talking. Esporting. It is right now. They spam when it's beans. When it's beans time. That's another chocolate pudding right there. That's what that is. It was like splotchy. So was like I'm five for five. I'm five for five. I am the winner. No, I've Maybe done this one nachos. time before. Say bye to my nachos assistant. Bye, nachos assistant. Don't, hey, don't be up nachos. <laughs> and they were mostly good I only had to deal with one bad one that's pretty nice <laughs> well that's no good alright folks thank you so, so much for listening today um I, uh, I'm going to continue to hang out in the Discord and keep chatting with y'all, um, so feel free to hang out. I really appreciate everyone who has been listening, everyone who's been jumping with me from place to place. I feel much more landed and established now that we're doing streams on, on Mixer and, and I'm keeping the YouTube um, running. For anyone who doesn't know, this stream is going to be going up on YouTube next week, immediately prior to the Mixer stream, which means if you are watching this during the YouTube premiere, that means in about... 10 minutes, the next stream is starting. That's right. So if you're listening to chapter 29 um, on the YouTube premiere, then chapter 30 is starting in 10 minutes. So get a drink, use the bathroom, take a quick nap, um, uh, drop a couple of beans for good luck, tie your shoes, pop in your earbuds, unplug them because you want me on, on speaker. and go check out the mixer. Um, all my links are in various places, but I figure, hey, why not go ahead and uh, drop them on on chat right now? So chat, I'm about to drop links on you. Mixer, would you look at that? Check it out. Discord, would you look at that? Discord, there's already a link in there for Discord. I recognize that, but um, as a matter of fact, you know what, this is mostly useless to y'all so i'm just gonna remove it <laughs> um no i'm uh i've been much more active on my instagram and twitter recently if you want to talk um rpg stuff uh, i've got an rpg channel here in the discord now and i i tend to do mostly rpg related stuff on uh on twitter on instagram it's whenever i keep up with it but it's for fun it's for fun updates, such as the fact that I have indeed been contacted by uh, the author of a children's book. I just recorded and sent off version one of that today, um, and I am still interested. So if any of you know someone or you are someone who's got a project in the works that needs a voice or multiple voices, even better, honestly, multiple voices, um, I would love to participate. I'm doing them for free right now. Uh, anything that will fit well into my my schedule right now, I am doing for free. So if it's a big one, a long one, might take a long time. But uh, thank you all so much for listening. I am going to sign off, but I will be talking to you later, Discord. Have a great night, y'all. Adios.